Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Today, featured on the Super Famicom, Ross. Hi. Also, from the people who brought you the Jaguar, CBS. Cat noises way into the room, awesome. Explains a whole lot of things. A whole lot. And also featured on ColecoVision, Rob. Uh, that one's so old, I don't even really... I just remember the name. <laughs> ColecoVision. I think it had Pong on it. I think that's it. Probably. That Sounds and Joust. Right. That, that's all you needed back in the day, though. Pong was king. It was Pong and Joust. Yeah. yeah. It's like tennis, but not outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on a side note, I learned just recently that Pac-Man had a whole lot more code written for the ghost than I ever thought. Oh, really? Yeah, I never even nice. thought that there was a coding for the ghost. I just figured that they just moved and did their shit. <laughs> so I'm... Oh, sorry. So I'm probably, like, one of the worst game aficionado people because I just never even thought about it. It's AI <laughs> programming. But, like, each ghost has a an AI program mm-hmm. that makes it uniquely function as opposed to what Pac-Man does. All right. Yep. That's, that's a thing. Stuff with... Programming and ghosts. Yes. Got more programming than you might think. It's harder to make Pac-Man than you might think. Just like it's harder to make comics than you might think. That was almost a good segue. Yeah, no, almost. That was pretty good. All right. Hey. It would be better if it was like, it's hard to make programming for games almost as hard as it is to bring us the news. That's true. It's hard. It is hard to bring the news. That's yeah. a pretty good one. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. Today we're doing episode number 96. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> and with that sweet sort of lead into the news, uh, Ross and the dog pile. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have much news, so hopefully someone else does, too. <laughs> uh, so, they put out DC's September solicitations a little early online, and we got to see a pretty cool team-up of... Well, a couple of pretty cool team-ups, actually. That's true. Uh, one of them is a Gotham City kind of tie-in that's called Gotham Resistance. That's going to have Damian Robin with Goliath, Batgirl, Harley Quinn, Killer Croc, and Green Arrow and Black Canary, all trying to find Nightwing, tying into the the DC Metal series somehow. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work, but I like the team up a lot. So it's a cool cast of mm-hmm. characters as far as like setup is concerned. Is they're all very vigilante street style, so that's cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool to throw Green Arrow and Black Canary in with the rest of the Gotham. Characters. Yeah, I do dig that. Uh, another cool crossover they announced. It's actually an intercompany crossover is going to be Wonder Woman and Conan. They both use swords. It's awesome. And wear skivvies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for, for all the ladies that thought Wonder Woman had finally earned her pants, where's Conan's pants? <laughs> he doesn't get any pants. It's true. It's yeah. a sad day. Well, he, does, he doesn't need pants to affirm that he's Conan. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Very true. Just like Wonder Woman doesn't need pants to affirm she's Wonder Woman. But, oh. uh, so that's a whole other story. It's yeah, that's a different <laughs> soapbox to kick over. 
Sorry, and Conan. Wash the floor, I guess. I don't know. But Conan Wonder Woman, that's, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Pretty good yeah. team up. I guess uh, September is also going to be the month that Power Rangers and Justice League will finally end. Oh, the last two issues? We'll we were just talking September. about how they should burn all those today. <laughs> what was the last because they didn't finish it? Now I know not to burn them. Get yeah. them out of the fireplace. September's supposed to be the end. Um, another cool thing coming out really soon is they're re-releasing Batman Mask of the Phantasm on Blu-ray, finally. Oh, wow. Okay. Bum, bum, yeah. bum. I'm supposed to come with a t-shirt. Oh, is it? I, I have seen, that. I've seen cool. ads that say it does. That's <laughs> awesome. I know it's something I'm planning on getting. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. So, Yeah, Max Phantasm was one of the only ones that went to the theaters. Awesome. Like, as an actual theater release. Yeah, it yeah. was. It <laughs> was the only one. It didn't do very good in theaters, mm, but that's unfortunately. Because yeah. parents will pay that big Skrilla to yeah. take kids to the movies. Unless it's some stupid sing-along bullshit. Yes. Unless it's not a stupid signal on crap. Yeah, it's much better. Right. <laughs> I'm sure somebody loves Frozen. It was in the theaters for like five years. I think there's a lot of people probably like it a lot. Yeah, kids, I like the costumes. <laughs> I like the cosplay lady. I mean, that's a different thing, right? When we stop, okay, I'll stop. Collaborate and listen. I suspect no. Okay. <laughs> Ross, keep, keep going. That, that's all I have that's for it? right now, yeah. They're well, doing a cool Halloween Comic Fest. That t-shirt sounds like news. By Frank Avia. That's cool. <laughs> Frank Avia! All the original monsters on it. It's pretty awesome. Original Classic monsters. monsters. Well, you mean like the Universal monsters? Universal, but yeah. not being Universal. Uh, Copyright and whatnot. I get you. Yeah. So, as well, original as you can get without actually being the monsters. Crazy fact, right? Okay. So, those monsters don't actually have copyrights on them. It's just the designs for the universal characters. So when you make Boris Karloff Frankenstein, that's when you have a problem. But just Frankenstein, no problem at all. Yeah, when you just draw Frankenstein, he's a bear. He's not Frankenstein. He's Frankenbear. Yes, and it's entirely different. (laughs) You probably can get that licensed. Maybe. You probably could. Whatever. How many ways can you draw a creature from a black lagoon and him not be the creature from a black lagoon? See, that one might be the tricky one, because that one was actually made by Universal. It's not based off a book or anything. Yeah, they probably actually have the rights to that. But I think everything else falls into public domain mm-hmm. at this point. Pretty much. Mm. So. Public domain, the best flavor of the month. That's <laughs> true. It's true. No? I don't yeah, really know what that means. It's tasty. It's good. <laughs> all right. That's all the news I have. That's it? Oh, for real. Okay. Oh, there, there is some sad news that we haven't got to talk about. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there there was a legend, and he, although he's not in the comic book field, the the amount of inspiration and the amount of people that can trace their love of comics or their love of even movies or of Batman back to him is is undeniable, and that is unfortunately that Adam West did pass away, and we are, you know, we're, we're all lessened by him by him being gone. You know, whether whether you think that he somehow diminished Batman, you know, uh, most of the people who worked on anything that you cite as your love of Batman were inspired by him by watching that mm-hmm. show. Oh yeah, yep, um, and. It brought more mainstream attention to Batman than I think anything that they'd ever done before, or probably will ever do since. Oh, yeah. At this point, everything's yeah. a different place in the world. It is. 
Um, but Adam West was, he was a fantastic man and was a, a real neat character that, yeah. and unfortunately it is, it is sad to see him, to see him go. I mean, even on top of Batman, he did a lot of voices and stuff for cartoons and yeah. everything. I mean, a lot of them were references to Batman, but yeah. a lot of people are going to miss him, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah as far as a, a, an entity in the world, yeah, he was... He's a cool cat. So, yeah. alma mater style, you know, if you've ever seen our webpage. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I, I grew up a lot watching oh, yeah. Adam West watching For Batman. Sure, man. You know, three generations of people have been affected by him just from the sake of the show by itself. It's not even with trying to watch it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, as far as age content is concerned, like, literally three generations of people were affected by Adam West Batman. Mm. And that's just now. I mean, as far as time in the future, people like us showing kids that will affect them too. Well, yeah, so and, and, like, and now that it's finally out on on DVD, finally, yeah, you know, uh, people are going to continue to to know Adam West Batman as they should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's just sad. I'm I'm so glad that we got the chance to, to meet him a couple to, to meet ago, him yeah. a couple years ago, you know. And he was he was really cool. Yeah. You know, for the for the time that we got to, to spend with him. And so But yeah, it was it was really sad news to hear about that and so Very much so. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to something else now. That's <laughs> just sad. Very yeah. just sad. Uh, but it's still, I mean, the man man deserves respect regardless what you thought of him. For sure. Awesome guy. Um, all right, Ross, you want to tell me some stories about Looney Tunes? Because yeah, that's the way to segue from Batman yeah, to totally Yeah, on the opposite side of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, you know, just, just to... Most of you probably already know this. Warner Bros. Has, has held the license for DC for a long, long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know when they acquired them, but as far back as the Michael Keaton Batman stuff, oh, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's kind of funny because when Marvel was bought by... Disney, there was a lot of fear of what was going to come into those books. Warner Brothers has had this license for so long, it never did any kind of real crossover with any of its other properties, really. And so it was kind of neat this year that they decided to bring in the Looney Tunes into the DC Universe, Mm. even if it's just like a one-time thing, which probably is better to be a one-time thing, really. I guess we'll see. That depends on the person. I mean, as, as everything in reality, unfortunately, when you have to boil it down, it depends on the sales. Right. Yeah. You know, so... So if you like, if you like silly mashups, you need to buy these from your stores. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that won't happen again. No. And, and so if you're scratching your head and you're like, well, gee, please, why is this happening? Because they, they own I'm surprised. Company. I'm surprised that it's... I mean, they did do uh, Justice League Looney Tunes mashup previously. But it was like a weird six issue series, and it it was like Looney Tunes as cartoon characters mixing yeah. with superheroes as like regular, regular world people. Well, you did a batch of action figures through I think Burger King or McDonald's one year, where it was like you had a pop on outfit of let's say the Flash, and it popped on to a Tasmanian Devil. Cool. So like they, they've done mashups before, but not like this style mashup. Yeah, like in variant covers and whatnot. I mean, they did a whole run of fifty two Looney Tunes flavored. Variant covers, like, middle of two years ago. 
Yeah, that's true. So it's not like the first time is that, but as far as like a story, as like an actual trying to fit them together as yes. a thing. Yeah, yeah. Another cool thing, really quick, just if you like the Looney Tunes DC mashup stuff, like particularly in these so far four of the books have come out, and each book has a more DC oriented story in the front, and then a more regular like Looney Tunes story in the back. And if you like the more regular Looney Tunes stories. They've done an episode of Duck Dodgers, that where he gets the Green Lantern ring and becomes the Green Lunar, yeah. which is pretty. It's pretty funny, and it's worth checking out if you like that. They've also done a lot lesser known episode, the very last episode of the Looney Tunes show, the weird like sitcom one they did a couple years ago. They did Bugs Bunny as Superman for that show. The one with him and Davy living together. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, he had, I think it was like a dream sequence or something where he dreamt he was born on Krypton and sent to Earth. It's the Superman story about Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd as Lex Luthor. That's fine. So they've done some cool kind of little comic uh, or cartoon crossovers. Sure. But uh, first well, even, time is like... Even like classic 70s style Bugs Bunny had a couple episodes where he ate carrots and turned him into Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... The cartoon side of things, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there were they're cool things we're checking out, but right, um, yeah. First time as a regular comic book, they've done this kind of thing, right? And it, you know, I'm gonna say they pretty much all worked a lot for me, but I like cartoons and I like, or I mean, I like Looney Tunes a lot and I like DC a lot, and um, yeah. Anyways, varying quality between them all. Uh, I think the one that I like the best that we're going to talk about is the Lobo and Roadrunner story. Well, Lo- Lobo Roadrunner number one. Yeah. Well, you tell us a story about that, Ross, yep. and who so, did things and wrote things and, you know. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. Like style-wise about stuff. It had two covers. They did A-B covers on them. So we had a Looney Tune flavored cover, and then we had like a a DC imagined version of them cover. Yeah. It's like more, I don't know, I guess if one's Looney Tunes and one's not Looney Tunes, then the not Looney Tunes ones. One, one's the more cartoony style and one's the more, like, kind of realistic style, I, I guess. guess is yeah, what you go for, for being comic books, you're like, yeah, is it realistic? But yeah, that's what it's supposed to be, I guess. So the Lobo Roadrunner special is written by Bill Morrison mm-hmm. with art done by Kelly Jones. Um... And I guess Kelly Jones is a classic Lobo artist, right? I think so. I don't remember enough to know that for sure, but the art is very familiar. I was going to say, if not, it looks like it probably is. Uh, The general premise, like I said, there's two kind of different stories in it. The first story is about how scientists in Area 52, so not Area 51, Area 52 find some alien DNA, and rather than testing it on humans first... They test it on animals, and it makes crazy mutant animals that happen to look a lot like Looney Tunes characters, uh, in particularly Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. Uh, the story is a basic Roadrunner, Wile E. Coyote story where he's just obsessed with eating the Roadrunner and comes up with all kinds of crazy traps to do it, and at one point, he gives up. And you find out they introduce another Looney Tunes character in Sam the Sheepdog, who doesn't want him to give up, and tells him that instead of giving up, you should hire this alien mercenary that I've somehow come in contact with that'll catch Roadrunner for you. Alien mercenary turns out to be Lobo, of course. 
Makes perfect sense. I'm a mercenary. That's the only guy I can call. And so uh, Wily Coyote goes into space to find Lobo. And instead of... Well, he straight up hires him, pays him for it. But he has to complete Lobo's other job that he's on, that he's doing already. And so Lobo gives Wily Coyote his other job, which is to kill someone. He doesn't tell him who... You don't know as a reader who it is. And uh, Lobo goes after the Roadrunner. And all Lobo's Roadrunner, Roadrunner trying to catch, like, tricks are basically all old Wily Coyote ideas from the uh, cartoons. So, without giving away too much, I will say that when you find out who they sent Wily Coyote after is, like, one of the best reveals ever in a comic book, and you can't believe how they're doing that. Uh, anyway, I really liked the first story. But there's also a second story in this, which is the Looney Tunes one. Right. So in some of these, the Looney Tunes ones have been like a retelling of the first part of the story, but more Looney Tunes art, and some of them they've been just a totally different story. In this case, it's actually a continuation of the first story, but where Bugs Bunny pops out and tells Lobo that he has a contract to fulfill. He has to fulfill another certain amount of pages before he's going to Las Vegas. Lobo's deciding since he's on Earth, he's going to Vegas. And so more of Lobo trying to catch Roadrunner, but in Looney Tunes style now. And it is pretty funny because there's at least a couple parts where he says things and it does crazy symbols instead of him cursing or even like his alien cursing. And he's like, what is this nonsense? And Bugs Bunny's like, oh, it's a family-friendly book. You can't, you can't say that in this portion of the book. And then later in it, he falls on a giant pit of spikes, and there's, like, blood everywhere and everything. And he's like, oh, so much for family-friendly. It's, <laughs> it's a pretty good story. Um, overall, uh, I'd probably give Lobo and Roadrunner a four and a half out of five. I liked both the stories. Both of them had different tones. Both of them were fitting to what they were, and the crossover just worked really good in general. Well, good times. Rob, do you have any kind of score for that book? Um, you know what? I'd probably give it a three. I'm, I'm not wild about the artist in the first half of the book. I do like that the second half really reminds me of the old ba- uh, Superman animated series, Look for Lobo. Mm-hmm. So, like, it, it was Looney Tunes for everybody else, and then his also animated companion. So, like, it was just kind of cool that they took it all to a comic look. Mm. So, but yeah, I, I've I've enjoyed the, this crossover stuff so far. Um, but yeah, I, I just I just give it a three. Okay. You know, it's, it's good, but yeah. it didn't quite take me as much as it did. Sure. Well, score-wise, I fall in the same spot. I give it a three. Art style for Lobo at the end is awesome. I like the main man bike crazy beginning. I'll give you, it's gritty. It is old school, but that's a low ball I'm used to from back in the day. I prefer the stuff on Justice League America right now, just because that's the style of art I like now. But this is like old school grungy, so they, they dig the way the Shaman Sheepdog looks, because he looks kind of badass, like Rob was saying, so that's definitely cool. Ross? So one last thing with Lobo Roadrunner that I forgot to mention when I was talking about it. Part of what makes the Lobo Roadrunner crossover awesome is that Lobo regenerates like Wolverine. So all the crazy, you know, schemes that he comes up with that backfire on him, like nukes going off on him, he just comes back from them. And they actually show that. They show like his face flying through the air, and then he regenerates back to Lobo in the next panel. 
So, which makes sense because who he is. I, I like I that guess. they managed to fit them together right. to work that way. As you were just saying, explosion wise, it normally would kill a normal man. Yeah, works for Lobo because he is Lobo. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, it's pretty good. Well, and it bleeds into all that craziness that they did with Wiley Coyote to begin with. Right. You know, falling off a cliff thousands of miles high or whatever. Yeah. Smashed by a rock. Yeah. Yep. While in a wetsuit. Of all things. <laughs> Weird. Well, let's move on to uh, Mighty Thor uh, number 20. Yeah, Mighty Thor 20 actually has quite a few artists on it, but for a second I just want to, like, love on the cover because this is a recreation cover, and it's the third or fourth time that it's been used. Um, I don't remember who actually did it the first time, but I do remember when Thunderstrike was first introduced. Right. That he had the same, the same look. Um, so we're going to try to get everybody who's responsible for this. I, the, the easy one is the writer, which is Jason Aarons. Right. Uh, when it comes to artists, there's there's two separate groups that did the art and color. Um, so let's try this. It's Russell Dieterman and Matthew Williams who did kind of the first part of the book, and then kind of the middle. And then Valerio Skitty and Veronica Gandina, who kind of do the middle and the last part of the book. So, uh, to their credit, when I was reading it, I didn't actually notice much of a changeover, so everything looks pretty smooth, actually. But there's a lot of things that have been going on in Thor. One of the biggest things is that the whole world tree is being assaulted. And there's a very good possibility that all the nine worlds that it connects to are in peril. Right. Along with that, there was a, a union that was made a while back with representatives from different parts of the, the, the world tree. So, like, we had a, a light elf, and we had a giant for a little while, and um, one of the dwarves. And some at some point, we actually got a shield agent that was a part of that. They were all supposed to be representatives of the different nine worlds. Uh, headed by Volstag. In this particular story, they're going to meet with the Dwarf Kingdom. And everything is kind of falling apart. And as we kind of begin this story, we come into like this refugee camp for all the Light Elves, who are... They're, they're pretty rough. Like, food is in short supply. Dwarfs, you know, are, are kind of their safe haven place right now, but... All the dwarfs know to do for war is to man the forges and make new weapons to defend themselves. And so these people that are refugees are just kind of starving, and they have nowhere to go. And there's this kind of touching moment where Volstag, uh, who's been complaining about getting food this whole time, like opens his pack and starts giving food to these kids that are like starving. And we kind of see how how rough it is in this world. And then the displacement that these people are, are going through, how dangerous kind of the world has become for them. And no sooner do we really start having that moment than the Dwarven cities are being attacked by this crazy fire that just burns everything. Wallstack gets separated from the rest of the delegates, and he winds up actually separating these children for a while through this kind of hellish firing landscape. Meanwhile, we catch up with both Thor the Odin son and Jane Foster, the, the current mighty Thor. And we kind of find out 
why Jane had waited so long to reveal that she was this new Thor to Thor. And we kind of find out a little bit about what's going on with the hammer. And we'll find out the most important thing for me, which I know this is the stupidest thing, but Thor Odinson has Thori, the Hellhound. <laughs> nice. So awesome. in Loki's absence, Thor has Thori. That's way cool. I think that's funny. That was the, that was an important part. For I, you. I say that's the most important part to me too. Yeah. So well, he bounces up and he goes, "Can Thor Thori murder her master just a little bit?" He's awesome. still exactly the same <laughs> Thori. That just I I really I enjoyed the little the little Loki series. So I, I was glad to see this back. The other big part of the story is is dealing with the ultimate Thor hammer, which was a big deal in Thor. Unworthy. Unworthy. Yep. Um, so if you read Unworthy Thor, this picks up from the end of that. Yeah. Which, honestly, great read. Yeah. And if you're interested in what's going on with Thor, you should check it out. But, like, Thor right now is a very interesting character. But we, we have something pretty major that happens there, but we're going to save that for later. Right, As right. we go back to finding out what happened to the other delegates. And we find out that Lord Melkmane, the white elf, has just completely been burned alive. Oh my gosh. Like, they talk about him just being vaporized. <laughs> while the other ones went to hide in the Dwarven Caves. And they kind of talk about how devastating this fire is, and that the fire is just unquenchable. The only thing that can stop this fire is a, is a very particular thing. In the end, the only thing that can stop this fire is the blood of an orc, which is the same thing that, like, is spreading this fire. And so Volstag actually winds up fighting against one of these fire orc things, and it's using its, like, slug bombs, and just burn the heck out of him, and evidently to save, to save himself, he winds up, like, ripping it apart and, like, bathing in its blood to stop the fire. But in doing so, if you know Volstag... He has to make this tremendous sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice that's deeper than the normal complaints for Volstag. You know, oh, I, where's my food? Where's my drink? It's something that's much more key to his core character. And it's something that could have easily broken Volstag the Mighty. But instead, it begins a fire inside of him that can only be quenched by like doing something very drastic. Right. And the end of this book, we'll see Volstag probably change in a lot of people's opinion to being something more than he was before. Now, if you've been reading Thor for a while, you already know Volstag is... He's kind of B.A. He, he's a B.A. I yeah. mean, he looks like such a clown. But when you read what he does and the, the heroic feats that he accomplishes, it's, he's impressive. Um, and even his all of his jests, like you see the reality behind them. But like this is going to be a big thing for him. So if you have been reluctant to pick up Thor because like you don't feel like it's the the Thor that you knew, get out get a hold of eighteen, nineteen, and twenty now because that Thor is very relevant in this book and the, the things that are going to be with him. You know, the, the way that, that that this story is going to change, I think, is going to be really important to him going on. It's definitely interesting, the set of reveals in it. And, like, yeah. what they've been teasing us with up to this point, 
the way they teased it was very uh, yeah, trickery. Very, very sneaky. Yes. About how Sneaky's they, better. How they trick, I was looking for trickery or something. It's Trixie, my love. You know <laughs> Trixie, my precious. You go, back, you go back inside the cave, Smeagol. <laughs> back in the cave, you ugly little monkey. Uh, score for the book, Rob. Uh, I give it 4.5. Okay. Honestly, the the way that it was told, I didn't... Like I said, I mean, I, I didn't even realize that there was different artists in it because, like, the story was so gripping that it didn't, it didn't even matter. You could have probably had, you know... Well, skip that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd say 4.5. I really thought it was All right. an incredibly impressive Thor story. And I've, I've been out of Thor for a minute. Right. So... All right. But yeah, I, I, I give it a four also. Like, as far as setup, I do like the reveal in it, like, a lot. I mean, that's the main reason why I was like, you got to read this one. And, like, yeah, I know you haven't been doing Thor for a minute, but I knew you'd like it simply because of the stuff that happens in it. And it's a very, like, it's a pivotal shift and as far as, like, what we get out of it. It's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah. Just because we've never had that ever. So that's really pretty cool, and the art is pretty fantastic, and the cover is awesome. The recreation is really cool. So, yeah. Thor smashes stuff, and the covers are always awesome. Anyways, yeah, I give it a four. Also, uh, Ross, I'm gonna fall suit with Rob and give it a four and a half out of five. Nice, awesome, awesome book. Yeah, I don't normally read much of the Marvel stuff, but yeah, that thing is way good. Uh, Thor has probably been the character I've been most attracted to and read more stories of than anyone else. Okay, but yeah, yeah, I really like the story. And th- once again, Thory the Hellhound. Yes. The most important part of that book. <laughs> Man. I, I'm so glad that he's there. And like I said, he's probably been there for the last few issues. And I just, I haven't I haven't seen it because I've been kind of reluctant to pick up Thor. I haven't read any of them since this one. And it makes me want to go back and look and see if... Mm. Now, this is a hard story. Holy cow! Well, yeah, yeah. I'm putting emphasis on that, but yeah, just yeah. in general. No, I, yeah. Well, okay. Let's move on to something else. It's sort of Thory. No, it's a sword. This Fantas- is more gaming. fantasy. Fantasy. There you yeah. go. Fantasy like. Oh, there's a lot of elves in the other one. Sword and yeah. sorcery. There you go. That's that's kind of what. That's not the name of this though. This no. is Sword Quest. Which is surprisingly more based in reality than you would think. It's true. <laughs> uh, this is coming out from uh, Dynamite. And uh, we've got writer writers Chad Bowers and uh, Chris Sims. And art and colors are by Ghost Rider X. Oh. Which is fantastic. Nice. Nice name. Is, is, that a, is that a company? I have no idea. Okay. Because like, for a while I was like, damn, Hi-Fi colors everything. This guy's amazing. It's that, and, then, company, and then I found out of the yeah. company, and I was like, wow, I'm stupid. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, I don't know that. So, Good. I don't know that. Ghost story. Rider X is awesome. Ghost Rider X is an awesome name, regardless. Um, so now, this is issue one of Sword Quest. There was a zero issue that came out, better part of three weeks ago, maybe? Two weeks, two, three weeks ago? It was like a lead into what this story is about. So if you're not aware, back in the day, there was the Atari system, and Atari had a game called Sword Quest, and Sword Quest had a giant tournament system sort of set up for it that kind of fell apart after the end of the system. And they didn't even get to complete the whole hierarchy of things. So where we pick up this story is based in real world from people that were connected to those games and the tournaments. 
So the way uh, the way the book starts, it, it does display at the very top first page, real world, so you know you're in the real world. And uh, we we basically see what looks like an a, an early '70s kid's room. You know, it's got crazy like Atari posters everywhere and like spaceman stuff and metal, rific like awesome room for metal. Really quick, yeah. something I wanted to point out: his crazy spaceman picture. So Chris Sims is a guy who loves a lot of old video games. Right. He's actually on a podcast that I listen to called Retronauts. He's not like a main person, but he's on as a guest a lot. The Spaceman thing is their logo. Oh, is it? And he <laughs> also wrote the X-Men 92 series, and right next to that is, that is the X-Men poster. poster. Yeah. With some cool Easter eggs on that first page. That's, That's pretty cool. funny. Yeah, I didn't realize about the podcasting at all. Yeah. Nice. So, we first get to, like, motion in the book. We join a, uh, a lady on a phone, and she is uh, answering a phone call, asking questions about a particular exhibit at the Video Game Museum. And uh, as she walks to the Video Game Museum, asking and answering these questions, which all seem to pertain to the sword from the Sword Quest game that was originally supposed to be one of the final prizes, if you won the tournament... There was four prizes, this was one of the final prizes, and they never got gave out because the tournament stuff ended. And the questions, they're not out of the line questions, they're just like, oh, when is it on display? Like, how long is it going to, how long are you open? What's the charge to get into the building? And as she's walking through, you see a bunch of old school, like, Dig Dug and uh, Space Invaders scenes behind her, so like giant posters or things that are ads from other video games, because it's a video game museum, so the whole idea is that all this old stuff's in there. Our old favorite we talked about at the start of the podcast, Pong. Right, uh-huh. oh yeah, Pong's in there, for sure. Um, so she has a bunch of questions about it, and she tells him, oh, it's going to be gone for two weeks in July, because it's going to be used at a different expo, so it won't be here then, so if you come then, it won't be here. And she says, is there anything else I can help you with? And then we cut to the guy on the other end of the phone. He's got this really shady-style beard. And he's like, no, no, you've been great. Thanks for the help. And then the cell phone, he promptly pitches in the trash. And then we join him sitting in front of a crazy scroll on the wall. You know, naked, because that's how you make phone calls. And that leads over to another wall that's like a crazy, if you think, like, CSI murder board. That's basically what it is. I mean, you've got the picture in the middle, and it's got lines of string to, well, I assume it's string, to all these other pieces around, and one of them's a sword, and one is a batch of machine guns, and it's it's crazy like... Reminds me like conspiracy theory yes, boards. Yes, conspiracy <laughs> theory board's a better name for it than what I called it. Whatever I call oh, it. Crazy CSI board. Is- conspiracy theory board, that's what we're going to go with. <laughs> So, um, that leads to him digging through things, and of course he's got a little bit of inner monologue going on, he talks about not caring about some type of book, and then we cut from him, we, we join a book signing in progress, and we've got a uh, overly excited nerd guy, who wants to debate the difficulty of Pac-Man Jr., um, for being the hardest game to ever come out, and uh, the person he's arguing with is the, the person who wrote the book. And uh, she has been, uh, I guess, the way the story is set up, she's written herself a book that's now a best-selling book. So she's at the book the store signing copies of it for uh, the for the public. It's a, a fan-visiting signing thing. Yeah, it's like an 8-bit book. Some kind of, like, history book about the difficulties of games and the design process or whatever. And so she's got this nerd guy who wants to, like, question her about the difficulty of, of the game that she says is the hardest versus the one he thinks is the hardest. And she basically, like... 
tells him she's got a, she's had enough of it. And just yeah. shuts him down. She lays down to him pretty good and, and, like, shines him on for a second and says, well, next, so whenever you write a gr- uh, best-selling novel about video games, I'll be happy to come to your signing and then uh, make a fool of myself because it seems like that would be adequate or equal or something like that. And, uh, of course, then she's like, do you want me to sign your book? And he stands there for a minute and we see the background around him change to, like, old-school 8-bit graphics. He's like, yes, please. And so she <laughs> signs his book and away he goes. From there, we join who our basic main character is, uh, Peter. And uh, from the preview, the, the issue zero, if you've read that, you already know that Peter is sick. Peter's dying. And he, as he's cleaning out his life dying, he finds this notebook that he used to have when he was a kid with him and his friends when they were competing in these games for the prizes for the Sword Quest game. In the process of that, he's noticed some notes that he didn't understand back then, and found a way to try to track the prizes, because they were real things. In real life, also. Um, and as the book goes along, like he he has conversations with a couple people in line, and we get these like pop-ups that are kind of like Legend of Zelda style, where it's like, oh, keep guard of your inventory, watch out for thieves, that kind of stuff. So it's like little game tidbit things that pop up as you go. Um, eventually he gets to the front of the line, and we find out that he knows Amy's the writer. The lady writing the book is Amy. And, uh, we wind up finding out that when they were, when he was, they were children, Amy and Peter were friends, along with her brother, and, uh, they used to play the Sword Quest games, and they would go on adventures and whatnot, and as the book moves, like, we get shots of bookcases that are around them, and the bookcases have particular words on the books that also leave messages, almost like hidden clues, which is really kind of cool, too, because it's hard to say if they mean something. Because like, what's going on in the conversation sort of fits what the books say on them, but isn't, like, a piece of this actual conversation. From there, we cut to uh, Peter and Amy uh, after the book signing. And Peter's in there talking to her and shows her, hey, you remember this old book? And she looks at it and she's like, oh, man, I really wish I would have known this thing's still around when I was writing my book. And we have so many cool notes in here and so many cool clips of paper from those games that it would have been a real help. And then she's like, wait, there's something new in here. And uh, we get a close-up of the book, and it it says that ask Amy for access to the press expo um, as, a, as a press member. And then it's like, get a disguise. So, like, things he's supposed to do, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, just uh, ignore that. He's like, i got to show you something. And he spills a cup of coffee, and about that time, um, her brother shows up, and... Uh, they have a weird reunion type thing go on, sort of. Like him and the brother has been falling out. It's odd. Yeah. We get a flashback to when they were kids, and I, I really suspected that it was like there was a, there was a rift between the two guys because I I thought Peter had a thing for his sister, right? And I, I thought that that was like some of this rift when they first meet again. Like they've they've still never gotten over this childhood thing where. Like, he wanted to go out with the girl, and it kind of pushed the brother out. Right. It definitely seems to lead that direction. Yeah, I, I was convinced at first. That mm. turns out not to be entirely true, at least from what we see during the flashback when they were kids. Uh, going to the movies, and uh, not with the sister. So, that's weird, a little bit. It's not out of control, but it's weird. Uh, but apparently Peter and, uh, and, and he had a moment that it... Turns out wasn't for both of them. Um, anyway, Peter decides that he's done with the conversation, and he's like, "Yeah, I gotta go. This was a stupid idea of me. Like, I can't, 
I can't be here, I need to leave. And so he bails and takes his book with him. Next thing he sees, he's at home, and uh, he's laying down in the bathroom, having trouble breathing. This entire time he's been going through the book, he's been coughing. And he tells the two of them, before he leaves, he tells the two of them that he's dying. And they're like, really? Like, that's crazy. And he's like, yep. Yeah. Um, and Amy asks him, well, what would you come looking for us for? He's like, well, I was going to use you to help me get into the expo so I could steal the sword. As like a last hurrah thing. And she's like, uh, what? Are you crazy? And he's like, yeah, no, I've decided not to do it. Like, I decided that's probably not the best way to go. And uh, between those two points, we get a few more pieces with the the guy from the phone call, and we'll skip over those just a little bit, because they're, they're important, but, you know, it is what it is. And we want to leave a little bit of mystery to the book. Um, so we get a few more pieces between them, dealing with the whole idea of him dying. And then uh, we get a lead to the very end catch, where we unite the, the three par the four parties. So we have uh, the brother and sister and Peter, and then they are joined by guy from the phone that we last saw naked. I would say super shady guy. Super shady guy. Yeah. We're going with super shady guy. Um, and what he says at the end is very like, oh, it's on, man. Because, like, at this point, Peter's like, I'm done. Like, we're, this is, you're right, I'm crazy, I'm not gonna try to steal this sword, this is stupid, like, what was I thinking? Both of you aren't into this, and, like, at this point, you know, I, this is stupid. So it was like a reu reunion moment that was spoiled by his crazy plan, just for him to be like, yeah, you know what, I'm stupid. And then that totally turns on its head on the last panel. Kind of awesome. Um, book score-wise, I mean, I give it a, I give it a three. I mean, the art style is it's just like the Zero issue. So we saw the Zero issue, this is the same setup. Um, they did a bunch of cool covers, and one of the covers was, like, a retro video game cover, for the old Atari game, so it's like remade in a comic book format, and I think the cover's super awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, the story's definitely interesting. Like, it's definitely got, like, dark tones with the whole, like, waning death for him, but the mystery behind the rest of it is pretty interesting. Like, this whole crazy, what do we call it? Not murder board, but something else? Conspiracy board. Conspiracy board <laughs> guy. Board. Whatever he's got going on is crazy. There's a lot of stuff written on the board, um, name-wise and stuff like that. So how those are going to figure in at some point, I think will be awesome. Um, but yeah, I give it a three. I think it's pretty strong. It's, it's a fairly fun book, but like the setup for it being things that are based in reality, because this is a real thing that happened, up to this point, I think. As far as the game, I mean, the game is a real game. The console game challenges were real. The prizes were supposed to be real. Mm -hmm. The um, sword is real. The sword yeah. is real. So, like, it's interesting how it connects in the real world. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's... Um, stop. Um, Ross, you have a score for that book? I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5 as well. I like that they didn't just try to make a story for Sword Quest and you like a comic book adaptation. They're doing oh, of the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're doing this unique idea with it. Um... I also like there is like this whole classic video game lifestyle going on now. Like I was just talking about the Retro Knots podcast uh -huh. that Chris Sims has guested on quite a few times. Um, I like that that's showing up in this book. Like I've read a couple of those books that are like that, like the history of games and going back and actually finding game history that people thought were missing. And anyways, I like that that kind of stuff ties into that book. And the art's pretty good, and the story's a really unique thing. So, yeah, four out of five, probably. Cool. All right, uh, Rob, score for the book. I think I'd, 
I'm kind of divided on it. I'd give it a four. It's not an art style that I really like, but I think the story for it carries it really well, and I can't really imagine another artist working on it. Um, there was a couple of really neat things that I just noticed whenever we were going through it, which is one of the things for the for the art on the book. It's got this minotaur in the background, and our mysterious character actually has a minotaur tattoo on his back. Right. But, like, they play that character so well in the book. Because, I mean, you start off and he's, you know, he's sitting there naked in front of his conspiracy theory board and he walks past guns getting dressed. And you're like, oh man, is he gonna, like, kill this, this lady at the art, uh, the, the museum? Who knows? And he gets on the motorcycle and he's driving down, he stops in this shady alley and there's this dog coming running up at him barking and it lays down on his stomach and he's petting his belly and he's like, oh, thanks for helping us, you know. Oh, lady shows up, yeah. yeah. Thanks for helping us get out of this house, you know, when this fire was here. It's so, like everything that he does says, like, oh, he's a good guy. But, like, everything we see makes it look like he's this, like, bad guy. Well, yeah, for the start, I mean, we see him, like you said, we start out from him being this weird naked dude on the phone, it, questioning the lady at the, now nicely questioning, yeah. the lady at the game museum, you know for ill intent, and then literally the rest of the book he's riding the motorcycle, kill the alleyway with the dog, and you're like, oh, man, this is going to go down. And what? then it turns out to be playtime with the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Pierre that was talking to her at the beginning of the book, you know, until it was revealed that it was him. Right. But, like, they, they do a good job of showing you something and giving you this expectation, and then that expectation is wrong. Right. And, I mean, they did that as well with his childhood. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They build you up to this idea, and then it's, 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 it's the thing. Switch, yeah. And the same thing's true here. So, but I'm kind of surprised, like, how many people knew about the Sword Quest thing. Because, you know, I... I spent a lot of time with video games, but that wasn't something that I knew. But I, you know, for me, I grew up with a lot of those eight-bit era things, so I haven't really looked back a lot. Right. Once again, plug that Retronauts podcast again. I guess I think it was shortly before the Zero issue came out for this. They actually did an episode about classic guitar games, including Sword Quest, with him on it and talking about what he was thinking about writing the book and stuff. Oh, that's so. cool. I wouldn't have known about it at all if I hadn't have listened to yeah, that podcast. Yeah. So. But they talk about E.T. a lot, I'm just saying. They mention it a couple of times. They don't go into it a lot. Yeah. I think it's more well-known than desert. anything. Nice. Not desert, I guess mountains. Worst game ever made. Landfill. Yeah. Landfill, yeah. yeah. It's been found, finally. They dug it up. Yep, yeah. it did. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Evidently, <laughs> they're like, oh, this can't be that bad. <laughs> this thing's terrible. Mystery. I love that it worked after being buried in a landfill. I'm sure it did because the game was so broken to start with. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is it did it wouldn't make any difference. No. Yeah. No. Okay. I understand. It was it was one of those like it was one of the worst showings of the console wars. Yeah. Man, there's gotta be an emulator out there for that game somewhere. If any of you oh, guys sure listening know there's an emulator, send us an email email us a link to be able to find this to E. T. game to play it, because that'd be awesome. I'm sure it's probably Top five times podcast at hotmail.com. So top five <laughs> podcast, that's what it is. Top five podcast at hotmail. Don't put the comics in that part. That's only in the web address. Please. Yeah, I know, right? It's like a lot of letters. Like, how does anybody remember to do that at all? No wonder we don't get very many emails. Well, but, you know, it would be like your own adventure. Yeah. To find the ET emulator. Yes. And send to us. That'd be awesome. Google is your friend. That's all I'm going to say. You put your phone away, Ross. It goes back <laughs> in your pocket right now. <laughs> Might be harder than you think, you. I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> that something with a quest. But, but, but talking about a cover that's probably going to be reused a lot. 
Yep. I would assume so, yeah. Let's move on to uh, Superman number 25. Awesome. Ross, you want to tell us a story about some Superman? So, Superman 25 is written by uh, Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. Oh. With art done by Doug Mankey and Patrick Gleason. Oh. So, uh, Superman 25 is the, the very last chapter to... Everything that's been happening in Superman Rebirth up to this point, basically. Probably in the Black Dawn yes. story arc. Well, the Black Dawn story arc, but even on top of that, there's been a whole bunch of little, like, weird, like, little weird yeah. one-shot stories in Superman Rebirth up no, to this point. Led up to this. That are even like, this is dumb, this doesn't have anything to do with anything. I mean, they were cool still, they weren't dumb, that's bad wording. Anyway, cool little one-shot stories, you thought. That turned out to all be tied into this Black Dawn story. Well, yeah, like, like the last book we reviewed of this one, actually, with the fire in the woods. Because we actually reviewed that on the podcast. The oh, did? The, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I forgot with, about the, that. Uh, it's, the, it's the farmer's daughter. Or the In Dead Man's Swamp. Dead yep. Man's Swamp, that's what it is. Yep. The two of them go riding off on their bikes, and she's like, I should go home. He's like, I'm going to go in the swamp look for trees. Yeah. Yeah, so that whole story is like a weird one-off. And, yeah. yeah. Even that connects back to this, because that's, that's the, the, the daughter of the... Old man farmer, grandpa farmer. Well, yeah, from the from the very start of Superman Rebirth in Hamilton County, where they live, um, they've lived next to a farmer and his granddaughter named Kathy. Right. And Kathy and John, uh, Superman's son, John Kent, have become really good friends throughout this whole story. Yeah, hanging out at school, and like that's who he's riding home through the riding home on bikes with till he decides to go to the swamp. Yeah. So yeah. So. Um, in the last issue of this, because the last you do kind of need the last issue to set up issue twenty five. Okay. Um, in the last issue, you found out that Kathy and her grandpa are actually aliens. Uh, I don't know if it mentioned what planet they're from. I don't remember saying that. But their ship is a crazy, like interdimensional ship that crashed on Earth. Sorry, it's kind of kind of confusing even to me. But somehow Manchester Black you find out, is the villain of this whole thing. He's been in space with these aliens, and to help save the aliens, he's crashed their ship onto Earth, and Hamilton County is the ship, basically. All the main residents that have lived there are these crazy aliens in disguise. And the ship is breaking and letting crazy alien monsters through because they can go through the interdimensional... Yeah. Crazy backstory, but you find out Biggest thing, all Hamiltons, most of Hamilton are these Basically crazy aliens. aliens yeah. Um, including Kathy and her grandpa. Right. And you also find out that Manchester Black has been trapping other people that have been showing up in Hamilton County with this crazy black goo that we've also talked about on the podcast before. Yep, yeah. That it looks a lot like symbiote almost from Marvel yeah. side of things. It basically looks like a Venom symbiote. But, yeah, remember we talked about that. Yeah, you find out he's trapped Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein yep. from, like, several issues back now. And he's trapped Batman and Robin. Um, and so this issue starts with after Superman has freed all these heroes and Manchester Black has taken control of Superboy because if he can't make Superman do what he wants to do, he's going to make he's Superboy. Well, yeah, this whole time he's been, like, all the milk that they've been getting has been coming from the farmer's, from the farmer's pasture. So the entire time they've been getting 
their milk, it's been poisoned with this black goo stuff the Manchester controls. So it's, And it's allowed him to dilute John's powers. Make him weaker, yeah. And now he's controlling John and amping up his powers. Right. Um, so you know, a lot of the book is a crazy action scene with, like, one of my favorite panels I mentioned to you guys earlier is you have Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein fighting these aliens with crypto. Right. Is something I would have never thought would ever happen, ever. Awesome. Anyhow, <laughs> get them teamed up and, and Batman and Robin and uh, Superman's fighting Superboy and you find out that he's starting to kind of gain back his... It's Since less It's less of a mind control and more of like warping his brain to think certain things. Right. Um, but you find out that Superman decides Superboy is strong enough where he can start taking some of the punches. Superman wasn't going to fight him back at all, and decides that's the only way to do it, to break him. Um, and so he starts fighting him. You also find out that Kathy, his John's friend from earlier in the book, has some sort of energy power. They don't really explain it at all, but it just kinda happens. she connects Superboy and Superman, Crazy Lightning, and Superman sees a vision in it. And the vision is awesome because it's like future style, which I know we're not always giant fans of, but this case it shows Damien Batman. So crazy trench coat, Batman six six six, Damien. And then on the other side it shows John as an adult and Kathy. Well, who we're assuming is Kathy. It is not her, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So awesome because we've seen Damien before, yeah, and now we're actually getting a future vision of what John, yeah, what his could Superman be. might be. Yeah, the book ends when they do this crazy energy projection. They somehow force Manchester Black's consciousness out of his body, out of John's body. Yep, out of John's and out of his own. Yeah, out of I won't spoil what happens with that in the end, but it's pretty dang awesome. <laughs> um, and then it ends with them having to leave Hamilton County, which we've kind of known about in the action, because they talk about them moving to... Uh, to Metropolis. Yeah. Anyway. But by them, he means John Superman, Superman yeah, and Lois Lane. Lois, not Lois Clark and... John. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, not the, not uh, the, not aliens. the aliens. The aliens stay. The yeah. aliens have to stay there, because it's their the weird sh- ship. Yeah. Keeps... Yeah. Because um, the town is actually the ship, like you said earlier. And the water really cool like, splash pages at the end, too. I love that the story kind of mirrors Superman's own and that there's a bunch of aliens having to live on Earth in secret now. Right. Reminds me also a lot of, like, Martian Manhunter style. Mm-hmm. Well, and they also set it up to... Maybe it's only figuratively, but, you know, if, if Clark Kent has always been the protector of Metropolis and Smallville... Mm-hmm. Now John has his own place. He has it. Yep. He has his own Smallville. Yeah. Oh, basically. Okay. I hadn't thought about it that way. Hamilton mm-hmm. I mean, is. Yeah. Because, I mean, Hamilton's mm-hmm. kind of where he came from. So, right. So he'll always be kind of drawn back to Hamilton in a, mm-hmm. in his own way. That's interesting. So I guess I didn't think about that part. Yeah. That's kind of like his own version. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I, I like it because even though you know they're moving to Metropolis. Right. He can still go back. I mean, sure. he's got... Superman powers, so yeah. it shouldn't be that hard to go back well, to... Yeah, as far as returning or flying back or whatever, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of curious where they're going to go with this, because yeah. Batman said that he should be more powerful than, than Superman, Superman, yeah, which is crazy to me, because what's how do you do that? How do you do more powerful than Superman? It seems to me, 
without getting too much away at the end. He doesn't immediately become... No. Like, super, super, doesn't have all the powers type yeah. thing. Yeah, but even over in the uh, Super Sons books, there's been times where Damien's like, you can't fly? And I have to assume that's because of the stuff from this book. Yeah, as a whole, I've loved Superman so far up to this point, and this was just an awesome ending. I don't know how they managed to put, like, all my favorite DC characters all together. <laughs> like, the only thing is missing is Aquaman. I was going to say, dude, If they would have had there. Aquaman in there, then yeah. they would have got, like, Ross's ideal Justice League as a team. <laughs> Half of a Frankenstein's and a dog. Yep. <laughs> they did throw in a, a little bit of Aquaman with the backup. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, but it's not the same. That's not, it's not in the same. It's yeah. a different story, but, yeah. Any, anyhow. This issue in particular, Doug Mankey and Gleason's art work really good together. I didn't notice a difference at all going through them. I mean, they they are different. Right. They fit so well. It wasn't something that was jarring by yeah. any means. It was just... Yeah, it was, it was like, like we were talking about on Thor. Mm-hmm. Same yep, yep, same thing. And the story was just great. I would give this a 5 out of 5. It, it was built for me, it feels like. But, yeah, 5 out of 5. <laughs> right on. Uh, Rob... Um, I would give it a 4.5. I really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I, I know it will sound like a, a broken record, but, you know, if you've been afraid to read Superman because, oh, he's, he's boring, he's not. Mm-hmm. They've done such a great job of this. And, you know, once again, this is a great example of how you make a Superman story work. It's not about his powers. It's about more than that. It's about who he is as a, as a regular human being mm-hmm. that makes these stories work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sit there and hate on Superman if you want, but read the book because it's a heck of a story. And in all honesty, it's almost as much of a Batman book at this point as Superman. Yeah. It has so. had a healthy, healthy dose of Batman in mm. this last batch mm. story arc, which is fine. I, I it fits. Think, I, I think fits. he works as a good yeah. backing character for it. Plus, I mean, if you can keep a story going for 25 issues as the backup thing... To have this big reveal now, I mean that's that's pretty good planning. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, the way it's the way it's knitted together is really pretty impressive. But this whole team, like, like I know we all favor this team in general on the show, mm. like, whether that be simply because they're cool guys or because they have been awesome to talk to in life and whatnot. And they, Mick and Pat are both awesome. So as far as the team is concerned, it's a good team that's been doing things for a while. I mean, we talked about them plenty on the show. I think. Mm-hmm. So if you've listened to other episodes, I'm sure you've heard us mention these guys. Oh, yeah. But as far as, like, setup's concerned, yeah, it's knitting a story together that's, like, based around Superman, but the pieces around him are just as important, mm-hmm. or even more so, depending mm-hmm. on what the piece you're reading. Pretty impressive. Um, score-wise, I mean, I, I give it a four and a half also. I, story-wise, like, Manchester Black is definitely a character I dig simply because of his roots in origin and... Where, where he came from as a character. So, I like seeing him again. And as far as, like, a dude that's pushed Superman to the close limits before, yeah, there's some older stories where, like, like Superman at one point actually lobotomized Black in his body simply to stop him from using his powers because he didn't have any other choice. And Black wanted him to kill him so that way he could force Superman to see that you're just like everyone else. So, not the most original storyline in the world, but it was really awesome the way it played out. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's a knock at a guy from another book. So, like, that part I definitely think is awesome. Mm-hmm. Take that, authority. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so four and a half. Rob? I think the only thing I have on there is that I, I do wonder how 
we catch up because they did introduce Manchester Black before in the Teen Titans. Mm. And so I don't know if this is just Rebirth fixing itself or if there's actually two Manchesters out there. Because this Manchester Black seems more like the classic Manchester yeah, Black. Yeah. Whereas the one that showed up in Teen Titans felt like kind of a half-assed quantum, uh, Quentin Cord. Oh, you the know? choir? Yeah, Quentin Choir. Yeah. I think, I think it's probably Rebirth fixing it. But Maybe. it would be crazy if there is two of them or something. Yeah. Somehow. Well, I don't know if we're just meant to forget the Teen Titan one. You're supposed to forget. It's like Nolan always says. You're meant to forget things they don't want you to remember. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Lobo? There's only one Lobo. There were never any other Lobo. There's only one Lobo. He's Lobo was another book we read. <laughs> no other Lobo. Extra Flash from the future? No other Flash from the future? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Two Manchester Blacks? Who are you, who are you talking about? <laughs> it's true. One, one more thing I wanted to point out really okay. quick. I've been saying this is the end. It's the end of this kind of big story arc. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's still the same creative part. team. Yeah. Superman's going to keep going on, and yeah. they're going to tie back to this. So a lot of exciting things to look forward to as right. well, even though this is the end of a... Story arc. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a chapter. Yeah. I just didn't mention chapter earlier, oh, so... Right. Progressive life. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, because it would... I, I understand. Because a lot of times when we're talking about something like this, it's like, oh, and the team's leaving. Yeah, oh, I didn't, I didn't want him to yeah, think yeah, it was like that's the end true, of okay. it. Yeah, and the te- yeah. team's not leaving. No. Which is awesome, because that means this is just like, this is just a regular story. It's just this amazing story. Mm-hmm. Right. So, rather than punch out. Really? Yeah, okay. Quick plug to the future of this story. Gleason and Tomasi have a lot of uh, history with Green Lantern stuff. They do. And a future story is going to involve Superman and Sinestro. That's cool. Somehow. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we've definitely seen pictures already in the previews mm-hmm. for that. So that's yeah, pretty uh, pretty interesting. I will, I will give you that. All right. Uh, well, let's move on to the uh, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. That's right. Yeah, new number one for, for number Spider-Man. number one. Can we get more words in that title? I'm just asking. Uh, you probably could. It could be Peter Parker, the web of the spectacular Spider-Man. Oh dang it! Or Peter Parker, the amazing web was. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You could get three more they, words. They could just keep adding, you yeah. know, some of the other titles together to make this thing. Uh, it's, it is an odd choice though, because I mean, we could have just done spectacular. Peter Parker, spectacular Spider-Man has been used before, so I mean, yeah, I think this yeah. is a volume two or volume three, but. I, it's kind of an odd choice because you could have done any different title. Well, maybe Spectacular would have been too close to the, the whole Doc Ock weirdness with Superior. Maybe. So it's cool either way. You know who you're reading, Rob. It's not like you can pick up the Spider-Man book and not know what's going on. It's true. Because if you buy the wrong Spider-Man book, you're a different dude you're reading about. That's true. It could be Miles. That's very yeah. true. And now you could do Miles Morales Spectacular Spider-Man. Hey, that's true. <laughs> three don't give them ideas. Three more books. Ben Riley's Spectacular Spider-Man, and it's Ben Riley's another story. That's... Miles Morales Spectacular Spider-Man. It's another Miles Morales story. Spider Gwen, the Spectacular Gwen Stacy Spider story. No, no, go on, okay. Rob. Who wrote this book? This is uh, written by Chip Zardersky. Zardersky, and then art by Adam Kerbert. Yeah, this is kind of cool. I haven't seen Adam Kerbert working on stuff yeah. lately. So, uh, but we actually start with a brief recap of kind of Spider-Man's origin. But there is one big glaring oddity in it. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. And, uh, I, and it's, it's weird because it's um, it's dealing with the Uncle Ben death. 
Um, well, because it's like, the way the way it opens up, it's it's Pete recanting his origin story, which I mean most of us are familiar with, but the way they close it is just it's odd, at least odd in any way I've ever understood the Peter Parker origin story. I assume the same for you. Once I mentioned it to you, yeah. you're like, ah, I skipped that page. It was backup. I'm like, well, yeah, I, I just give us origin. So yeah. I, mean, I was reading it. I'm like, okay, it's origin. I can skip this. But it, it, they they basically say that Ben was was killed in the home invasion, right? Which is not normal. No, yeah. not right. You know, uh, and I don't know if that was just like, ah, it's too many words to say the criminal that I didn't stop killed him, right? But like, it's clearly here. Yeah. So. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very strange. It so. is odd. So I don't know if somebody just didn't do their homework, or they were just like, ah, it's close enough. Guy was robbing the venue, so it's like a home invasion. It's... Either way, we, we catch up with Spider-Man and the Human Torch, and they're kind of having like a lunch break, and they make a joke about like what they're eating is shawarma later, but basically, like the Human Torch is like, why are you even telling me this? I've already heard this origin story. And they kind of go on with this gag of him doing the, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, and people are getting tired of hearing it. Even he's getting tired of saying it, it sounds like. Well, he's like, a, Johnny's definitely tired of hearing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, later on, it seems like yeah. even he's getting tired of saying it, which is weird, but whatever. But basically for this book, I think the idea is to bring Pete back down to right. a smaller crime, smaller scope stories. I don't know if they're going to do it, because, I mean, they uh, they open the door pretty wide by the time this book is over. But in Amazing, it's been all about the business and sabotage going on in the business and going across the country and different countries and all that. And this is just kind of bringing it back to New York. Right. They're very international Spider-Man is what was going on in Amazing, most of it. Yeah. Granted, there's a lot of cool stuff with Norman, but like even that was mixed into the other stuff with the company and... Anyway, I'll stop about amazing. Go on, Rob. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of the, the differences. Yeah. So, like, if you're looking for a more traditional Spider-Man without bringing him back to being a kid, right? Spectacular might actually be where you want to be. So, um, but he kind of sees this robbery in progress, and of course, he's like, "Oh yeah, this is you know, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. I want to deal with small crime." Uh, and he jumps in and kind of saves the day. And he meets this girl, and they kind of have this fun. Weird banter. Uh, banter with each yeah. other where he kind of like maybe opens the door to some kind of romantic thing and Ant-Man shows up for a minute and um, winds up actually introducing Spider-Man to this to this guy who actually works on different superhero, super, superhero equipments. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of cool because it's something that he's never encountered before. You know, and as he's swinging around talking about it, he's kind of like... Oh well, maybe they just thought I was too smart, and so like nobody ever told me about it. And they're like, "Yeah, Tony Stark thought you were too smart." That's yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> um, and there's actually a a decent reason for it. Once we meet the guy, I think we'll kind of go ahead and maybe leave that a mystery who who sure. this guy is. Yeah, where he connects. Um, but it's kind of cool for Pete to meet somebody that's like in the same caliber as he is mentally, and so we get to have a fun interaction with people that are as smart as he is, and Spider-Man can actually have that kind of smart side of him. Um, and we get some kind of cool moments with him and Ant-Man, which is always cool for me. Sure. But one of the big things that happens is they find this encrypted phone on the robbery case. And the phone is supposed to be like a Tony Stark phone that can't be hacked, but yet somebody's hacked it. Right. And so he kind of is just 
chasing down who the hacker was. Who the hacker was, kind of thinking, oh, well, it's just going to be somebody who's just you know, doing it for fun or something. But it causes him to jump a plane, head to about mid country. And of course, in Peter, in, in typical Spider Man fashion, he went off on all this plan and completely forgot that he was supposed to do something else. And so, like, he's left the Human Torch kind of waiting on him. Yeah, when they first, in the first part of the story, whenever they separate from their, their lunch, um, Johnny's like, yeah, don't forget, we're going to the movie tonight, right? And Pete's like, oh, yeah, I told you to break and stuff, man. I'll never forget. It'll be fine. And, like you said, of course, he... Yeah, he totally forgets. Yeah, totally forgets. Which is a total Spider-Man yeah, thing. Yeah, it totally is, yeah. But as Pete chases down this mysterious hacker, it winds up being something much bigger than he anticipated, of course. Well, reveal-wise, we're not really sure what it is, but at the same time, it is like this giant, what the hell? Yeah, it's it's definitely got a big catch at the end of it. Right. That doesn't really answer as many questions. No. Uh, and then we have a double catch, because we yes. have something else that's also really important after that. Another step, yeah, there's a, it's a double hook. Yeah. Um, and then we actually kind of wrap up with a fun kind of side story, which may or may not be important. In the long run of things, featuring the Black Widow and Spider-Man. Oh, the backup, yeah. Yeah. I, if, if it doesn't come back at some point, it'd be weird. But does it affect the main story? No. Uh, don't know. No, it's not, just not kind of a fun. It doesn't. It's but just yeah. kind of a fun extra. So, um, but yeah, actually spectacular. Or Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man. Pretty darn good. Um, I think they actually did a great job with it. I, I, I've not been unhappy with the Amazing Spider-Man, but it's different. Right. And some fans really like that. But if you want a more traditional Spider-Man that's still contemporary, I think this is the way to go. So uh, I'd give it... I'd give it a three and a half. I really enjoyed it. And I liked both the catches on it. Um, I thought it was cool to kind of bring in Pete's smart guy side. So, yeah, three and a half. I thought it was real solid. Oh, and and I like their episode because I've been oh, yeah, yeah. such a naysayer in the last few books. Like, I thought <laughs> I thought it was really well done. It was cool. I loved how the characters interacted with each other. So, right on. Um, score wise, I go to I go to four and a half. The double hook always seems to get me when there's double hook, and the double hook in this one I think might be something that turns a lot of people off. But at the same time, for me, I'm like, this is great. Really? Mystery. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, honestly, I'm I'm on that other side. Like, when you do a hook like one of these hooks is, right. I tend to get really... Like, I'm not sure what to think of it, because I, it, it's close to something that really ticks me off with writers. Yeah, no, that's understandable. So, the thumbprint thing is definitely aggravating. It would, I don't think this is necessarily shaped that way, but I guess we'll see. We had a whole conversation about the thumbprint earlier. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different thing, but I don't want to get into no, it. No, no, it's fine. It's a, yeah. Uh, but score-wise, I did four and a half. Uh, I dig the normal cover. The couple variants they put out that we saw were kind of awesome. The Year of the Chicken one, that was really cool cover. Um, but this one, I was like, if he's pulled up in the shirt, it's Superman. So it's, it's like Spider-Man Superman, which is awesome. Well, and of course, he's got a mustard stain on it. Oh, duh. <laughs> because he's Spider-Man. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, the double catch for me, I'm like, this is awesome. But it, I thought the same thing whenever we had a Mary Jane clone show up. No, not Mary Jane, excuse me. Gwen Stacy clone show up that turned out to be the kid of Osborne. I'm like, really? 
crazy. And everyone else is like, you're a fool. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. Ultimately, the end of that was weird, and we haven't really got back to it ever, so that's fine. Anyway, totally different thing, nothing to do with this book. Uh, Ross, you got an idea for this book of score? I'm going to give it a three out of five. I really, Bam! I really liked all the character interactions in it. Like, in particular, I love that they're doing more with him in the Human Torch. Yes. Because it's always been, like, a classic friendship in the comics, and I think it's cool to see that. I love seeing him with Ant-Man there, too. Yeah. Not to mention the couple other characters that he interacts with in the book. And I, I didn't get to mention this, but it was a part I really I really liked. Um, the the girl that he saves, that he kind of has, a, like, a romantic moment with or whatever, she's a comedian, and she likes Spider-Man, which is kind of a neat oh, change cool. in his dynamic. But there was a point in there where she she's offering him a business card, and he's like, no pockets, like Prince. I don't keep pockets. <laughs> Hilarious. And she winds up actually throwing the card at his chest, uh-huh. and it bounces off, and she's like, oh, I thought you were sticky. <laughs> so it would just stick to you. And so they're both kind of like, oh. Yeah, no, not on. He's like not all the time. Yeah, there's kind of like embarrassing moment where she shuffles off, and it was like, "That's awesome." That's that was a neat. That was a neat introduction to possibly a new character for this story. Yeah, it was pretty funny. The prince thing is definitely hilarious. Yeah, it really is. Although one thing that did stick with me doesn't do any investigation, which is that strange for Spider-Man? I don't know. I, I think there's yeah. a lot of times that I remember yeah. him showing up and stopping something and being like, away! <laughs> <laughs> so, it's not surprising, but at the same time, I kind of was left going like, what, you're, you're not even going to look into this? Like, <laughs> at all? Uh, well, hmm. Man, I really want him to do that in the book now. <laughs> away! Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> That's, uh, That's my mind every time I read it. <laughs> Jeez. Ah, oh, it's ridiculous. Anyhow, yeah, before I hijack your thought, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you, you're good. I, I finished my thought pretty much. The character interactions are awesome. Art was pretty good. Like you guys said, crazy double catch at the end of it. Yeah. So, yeah, three out of five. Sweet. All right. Uh, so, let's see. Rob, uh, what'd you learn today, Rob? Uh, I learned that uh, Spider-Man is much like Prince. He doesn't have pockets. That's a, and then when you get caught com- comparison yourself to Prince, that's a bad thing. Especially when you get called out on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ross, what did you learn today? I learned that the uh, dinosaur robot in the Batcave has a secret hatch in the bottom of it that Damien <laughs> likes to study in. <laughs> oh, no, that's good. That's from an entirely different book. Yep. Told yeah. you nothing <laughs> No, that's good. That's that's. That's fun to know. It's a, it's a good one to learn. <laughs> Apparently you're supposed to check the hatch. Rob, what I learned today? You learned that Thory is alive and well, and that he thinks he can murder things just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, that is good. I've been told that's good to know. Nice half the battle. Yeah, yeah. Do. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. <laughs> this is from a totally different book. All right. Awesome. No, that's awesome. Good stuff. <laughs> I didn't know that there was a hatch. How would you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Batman's not crawling around it. No. The only way you would know is that Alfred was complaining about dusting it. He's like, those are some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and like smoke's coming out of the dinosaur's mouth. <laughs> terrible. Surprisingly oh. enough, oh, the way Batman's you find like, out about that is very similar to that, so... 
Mm-hmm. And Batman's like, mm, I love dinosaur talks. It's <laughs> <laughs> me, Master Bruce. Mm, duly noted. <laughs> yeah, he types like back, back to typing on the computer. That's supposed to be effective typing? Okay, I yes. get it. He oh types fast. I, no, he does. I don't doubt that at all. You think he just has speak to text, but then it gets confused and you never know well, what's going on. It, yeah, I mean, speak to text is a fantasy. <laughs> uh, it, it only works in the movies. Right. Well. Just it, barely. It kind of works. Because the reality would be, like, constant revision. Yeah. Although now I want to see that. I, in particularly, I see the Michael Keaton Batman sitting at the computer telling it what to do, and then it just replies something back to him that was totally different than what he told it to <laughs> in the first place. That would make sense. Back computer. No, he, he didn't do that. He just did the rougher voice. Yeah. So, back computer. Ready the Batmobile. Ketchup is ready, so... <laughs> Ketchup, man. Who said sir? What? <laughs> what? I don't like no, sound. Re- ready the Batmobile. The Batboat just drops out of the ceiling. <laughs> you get the camera pan oh, over and Alfred's man. whispering into a microphone. <laughs> oh, man. That would be hilarious. <laughs> if, if people from Lego Batman 2 are listening, you get to work on it. Weirdos. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's do some books to watch. Rob, books to watch? Man, um, that's going to be Astonishing X-Men. Yes. I think coming out here pretty soon. Season should be fantastic. Um, Birthright is always fantastic. Justice League's been great. Justice League of America, actually, very strong. I've been very happy with it. Um, Teen Titans has still been a pretty strong book. I actually really enjoy it. Um, there's been a lot of stuff going on between Totally Awesome Hulk and the... Weapon X books, so yep. WMD is just, started just starting as a crossover, yeah. which that's going to be really big. Um, and if you're interested in that, definitely check out the first few issues of Weapon X, because I think that's that's all been leading to that. Yeah, that whole series yeah. has been designed to go into it's that. It's been book. pretty good, too, actually. It's been really good. Um, I say all those, eight, one through three, are all in second prints, really. Mm-hmm. Secret Empire is making some really big waves. I think this is the, the event book that They've been trying to capture again, so for Marvel, cool. Yeah, uh, Ross. So the robot dinosaur hatched, yes, thing comes from Super Sons, yes, and that's an awesome book that you should be reading, especially if you really like Superman. It makes a really good like complimentary book to that. Um, yeah, so Super Sons, you should check that out. Even if you don't like Superman. Yes. It's a pretty darn good Super, book. Super still. Sons is awesome. Yes. Yeah. Title aside, I still am not a fan of the title, but the book itself is really good. Yeah, because yeah, it's a weird throwback title. I didn't even know that Super Sons was a thing before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I started looking into it and I was like, oh. I actually have the old. It's like ripped to pieces because it was my mom's comic. Right. But I have the comic where it's Batman's son and Superman's son and. I mean, it's obviously it's not Damien and John, but no, no, yeah, yeah, I have that old book somewhere at home. Okay. Hmm. But, um, on top of Super Sons, they're doing a Future Quest Presents book in the near future. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. That's going to focus on Space Ghost and the Herculoids teaming up. Okay. And it's being written by uh, Jeff Parker, who wrote the main Future Quest book, and art by Ariel Olivetti, who. Drew a couple issues of Future Quest. Did that old. So what I love him for story. is the Space Ghost story yeah. that he did a little while back. 
Okay. I think he's also done, like, Venom Space Knight. I think that was another recent one he worked on. Um, oh, but yeah. That makes sense, yeah, yeah. Future Quest Presents, like Rob was saying, Teen Titans and just the regular Titans have both been awesome books. Yeah, Titans has been really good. Mm-hmm. Titans is probably one of the surprise Rebirth books for being so strong and being so important yeah. to Rebirth. Yeah, it's been way good. Um, and then I'm also looking forward to the next two Looney Tunes books coming out. So next week, I think we got Elmer Fudd and Batman and Jonah Hex and Yosemite Sam. Yes, and it also includes the giant rooster. Yep. Foghorn Leghorn. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Batman one, I, is, I'm really interested in. Oh, yeah, so. I think the Fudd one will be a good one, too. I hope so. I, I've seen preview pages. It looks pretty cool. So. Cool. Right on. Um, man. So book-wise, Man, I feel like I had an idea what was going on in life, but now I'm confused. I don't know if I do. <laughs> um, all new, all new Wolverine. I still dig a lot. That Weapons of Mutants Destructions. I think is gonna be really cool. Um, X Men Gold has been awesome. This yeah, whole Batman, the Joker, Riddler war thing, awesome. Uh, man, I think both of those are really cool. Usually I try to go with books that haven't come out yet, or have books that are going to come out soon, but in my head I'm like, Murr. Robotech I think will be cool. Uh, we're going to have Robotech drop, I want to say next, middle, middle this coming month, I think. Huh. I don't remember that for sure. I can't remember what it is. It's supposed to be where, it's coming out from a smaller company, and as far as like setup, it's new stories with the classic characters. Nice. So it's like, so pieces that are supposed to fit if they were part of the original series. Which I think that'll be awesome. So That's cool. I'm pretty stoked for that. And a couple of pictures that showed up in the previews look really cool. I mean, granted, you can only judge it from what little bit they gave us, but it looks cool. And if you're into old school Robotech at all or Transformer Robots, so Craig, you <sighs> should like it. I think it'll be awesome, actually. Like, the character covers look cool. Like, way cool. Anyway, that's enough of that robot nerdness. Well, there's one that I was going to say, but I figured you would say it. It's, it's for Batman. It's oh, metal? Out. Yes. Metal! <laughs> Just in case you didn't know, I did the horns with my hands and shook it a little bit, which I've been told Gene Simmons wants to try to copyright, so I might owe him five bucks. If he saw it. <laughs> and since... I hope he comes after you to get it. Hey, no, because you've seen his tongue, right? I know. He probably, probably would. This picture him walking through the door, though. How awesome that would be that pretty be. sweet. Yeah. And then you'd hide, because it would be yeah, scary. It would be scary. Stick is, out his is tongue. He, is he in like, the makeup? It's not the right uh, length. I'm like, no, no. Yeah, if he had the makeup on, it would just be awesome. That's true. Without the makeup, yeah, it's, it's scary. It's a little rough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rough. Anyway, so yeah, metal um, does look like it'll be badass. Pretty soon we got casting happening. So this casting is supposed to be the second like lead-in chapter or whatever. And then metal itself is the uh, sixth part. And of course, we were talking earlier about the tie-in with the. The, Gotham Resistance, like, I think. Yeah, is Gotham that? Resistance, I think. Is, I, well, I don't remember what the title was. You were telling me what it was, but I don't remember. It's got Goliath on it. That's it does awesome have Goliath. Point. And that's, uh, Rob's like, the God Goliath? I'm like, no, no, the big red demon thing. Yeah. He's like, yo, you mean the monster that hangs out with Damien? I'm like, yes. Awesome. And anybody listening to this doesn't have any clue what we're talking about. Well, go I'm read sorry. Robin, Son of Batman right yes, now. Yes, Robin, Son of Batman. Yeah, you should know at this point. Yeah, you'd think so. So it's not the God Goliath. Right. Now you know, now he's at the battle. I said that earlier, too. Hey, Joe. <laughs> Anything else? You done? I, 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 I was like, I'm in bed. I'm like, I'm not sure you're not. I think that pretty much covers it. All right. Yeah. Well, Taki? Taki? 
don't think people understand that either. But Jeez. Right. Jeez. One day it will catch on. Well, you never know. Done, Someone will look on Google, and they'll probably get something totally different than what we're trying That's to That's totally true. All you have to do is look up Kim and Rainer. V1. Or Season 1. <laughs> or V3. You get the keys in V3, too. Get my V3. Look at that. The key! All Scissors. Scissors. Not going to do it. That relates to absolutely nothing you'll find no. online. Yeah, pretty much. Unless you get redirected back to our podcast. That's true. And that's the main thing. That is. Yeah, keep listening. You know, what? follow things. <sighs> Appreciate your listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, there are other ones. Right, so.